For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Saturday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating tonight? There's so much to celebrate. Today's the birthday of Shirley Temple. So grab your favorite Shirley Temple doll or have a Shirley Temple and let's celebrate tonight. Uh, today's also the 61st anniversary of Judy Garland's favorite, uh, famous concert uh, at Carnegie Hall. And tomorrow is the birthday of Barbara Streisand. And I have a very special con uh, 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 concert. Listen, I can't even talk. I have a concert special uh, celebration here tomorrow night. But tonight we are celebrating, and I hope I am going to pronounce your last name correctly because I have been working on this. John Palillo. How yeah, I did. did I get it? Great. So, John, I have to give a shout out to your cousin, Rose yeah. Uzo, because Rose is my assistant. I'm going to change uh, the background color here because I wanted to go with something that's closer to the color of your book. So there we are. Oh. So, yes, and uh, your book is so amazing. Uh, you are such an inspiration to me. I want to celebrate so much tonight. We're going to cover so many things. But before okay. we jump in there, uh, I always begin my shows with uh, asking my guest, uh, who or what are you celebrating today besides Barbara Streisand? Because you and I were both listening to Barbara before we began. Yeah. Well, I actually, I, believe it or not, um, I had food poisoning uh, yesterday. So I'm celebrating standing upright. <laughs> My mom just told me that she's been sick with food poisoning since last Sunday. Oh, so, you know, I know it lasted 24 hours. Oh my God. Do you know how it happened or? I have no, I make, I, I cook my own meals. I don't know how, I don't even know what I put in. I mean, it, it was soup. I mean, how do you get food poisoning from soup? Well, but, we're going to talk about your uh, digestive issues because you talk <laughs> about them a lot in your book. I mean, I feel like uh, with uh, all due respect to you, I feel that I know you intimately. I know you. Uh, better than I know some of my best friends, uh, because there's so much that you cover in this book. Um, I also begin my shows with a question that I haven't even looked at yet. And okay. That's jump, uh, bring us right into this tonight. And the question I'm going to ask you is, what was the first thing that you remember buying with your own money? Um, you know what? It was a little... Um... It looked like a G.I. Joe doll, but it was a scuba man. And I bought it at Metcalf's. And it was a little black. And you, you wound him up and put him in water. He would go in circles. I remember yeah. those. I do absolutely remember those. And it's interesting because a friend of mine, uh, Howard Tucker, if he happens to be watching tonight, he gave me this wonderful calendar just recently. And each day it has like a different thing that you can do to treat yourself with kindness each day. And I pulled this passage for the weekend and it says, visit a local specialty toy store and ask them to recommend something new for game night. Uh, when was the last time that you yourself had a game night? Um, it was probably uh, a year before the pandemic. I usually have a, um, well, I invented it. It's a, called a Socktober party. And because I don't like people in my apartment with shoes on, if I have a party, I have them take off their shoes. So I called it a Socktober party. And people would people bring something to eat and um, they have to have decorative socks. And there's a first, second, and third place uh, winner. So it was probably a year before the pandemic. I think I would win tonight because I am wearing socks actually right now that have Albert Einstein on them. People actually used to come with lights and things that would rotate. I mean, it was pretty, it got really heavy in competition. Now, where do you live now? I know that you grew up in Connecticut, which we'll talk I about. I grew up in East Haven. 
on, on Dodge Avenue. And um, now I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Okay. Uh, now we, uh, I, I don't even know, you know, where to begin with this story because there's just so much to digest here. Let's yeah. start at the beginning. I asked my guest and I asked you as well uh, to go and bring a photograph of you as a five-year-old. I think you're a little younger in this photograph than a five-year-old. Am I correct? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, here you are. Yeah, probably a little younger. Look how cute you are. And uh, tell us a little bit uh, it, about this little boy for those who have not read the book. And we're going to get people to buy this book tonight. Well, th first of all, that little boy hated that jacket because it itched so much <laughs> that, that the photographer came to our home and it was my brother, my sister and myself. And we each took a picture and then we took a family picture. And I remember that jacket putting hives around my neck. And so that's what I remember the most about that picture. And really at that time in my life, there wasn't a care in the world. There wasn't a care in the world. All, all there was, was like, as, as my mother would say, well, I, I, I had a thing for baby pastina. So I wasn't fat. I was just full of pastina. <laughs> well, yeah, I grew up, I'm a product of 1960s and 70s television. And you also grew up with uh, cast albums and music and everything, uh, listening to these songs and doing these performances. I love the stories of you getting on the coffee table and performing uh, for the family and everything. But your situation was a little different from my situation because your family seemed to be an enthusiastic family watching yeah. your performances. Uh, my family would get up and leave the room when I would start, <laughs> so, which tells you a little bit about where I was coming from. But when you would do these performances, you had this captive audience. Uh, it was the dance. It was, it was this free abandon that you had. Um, even at this early age, you knew that it was the dance and that was the world that you wanted to be a part of. You know, that's, that's all I ever knew. And the, the singing and the dancing and the acting was, you know, I mean, I used to cry when I used to watch the Academy Awards opening number <laughs> because they used to do big dance productions. <clears throat> so I knew early on that that was, that that's what it was. You know, that's where I was headed. But, and I had this support of my parents. But do you have an idea at such an early age as to what it was about those numbers that made you cry that you wanted to be a part of that so badly? It's because I wanted to be a part of it. And I was, you, you would watch them, you would watch all the guys dance and, and they would catch the women, uh, you know, they, they would partner. And it was also exciting, the life orchestra and, you know, the glitter and, and it was just so exciting to me. And it was like, I, I have to be a part of that. I have to do that. You know, so that that's why originally, you know, and my mom and my dad were both after I graduated from high school, they were like, <clears throat> you're not you're not college material. Um, if you read the book, you'll you'll understand. Oh, yeah. that. Oh, yes. You were born yeah. on Christmas Day. So, yeah. yes, you, Christmas Day. And you tell, I mean, uh, I'm not going to go into this because you talk about it. In the, you, your mom had an expression about what you did to her body. Uh, we're not going to say on the show because it's in the book. They have to get the book. To but she repeated this throughout her life. She and did. she was very graphic about it. Um, and, uh, you know, people can figure it out. But uh, you uh, and uh, but I love this description I mean, you know, Italian family, uh, I can just imagine uh, the, the food and everything. And then uh, after everyone le uh, leaves, there's your mom cleaning up, preparing, and then the contractions begin. And yeah. it was like a scene right out of a sitcom from the 1950s. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, my mother told me the story. Well, you know, she would always tell me, I, I will, I'll leave out the graphic parts, but she would, you know, what, what I told in the book 
was from what my mother and father shared with me. And so I, I often see it as funny and horrific together. But you can tell them you were a big baby when you oh, were. I was, I was over 10 pounds. So, so, and it was a long, I mean, and it was a long birth for your mom. Well, yeah. Yes. So <laughs> she, she <laughs> suffered. Let's just put it that way. She did. So, you know, years ago, I went to see um, this great uh, cabaret performer named Greg Rodehofer. And he tells the, he told this great story in the show that I never forgot. And he said that when he was a little boy, he used to play with dolls. And he never knew that there was anything wrong with playing with dolls because his parents allowed him to play with dolls. Yeah. Until he went to school. And the first day of school, his teacher pulled him aside and said, boys, don't play with dolls. And he felt traumatized by that moment because he went home and all of a sudden there was something wrong. He felt that there was something wrong with him. Well, I bring this up because as I'm reading your book, um, there were all kinds of issues that you were dealing with growing up. And uh, the biggest issue, of course, was the constant bullying. And you are so, uh, I, I mean, I am not going to, you know, I, I'm going to be very honest with you. As I was reading the book, there were several times where I just cried out loud. I mean, because it just took me there uh, yeah. with the intensity of what you endured uh, being in the furnace room and all these things that you describe going through school. And also the word that you used, because it was the term that was used at that time. Right. And I say this respectfully to everyone who's watching this show right now. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a phrase and a term we no longer use. But right. you were told and you were led to believe that you were, in the vernacular of the times, retarded. Right. Do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I guess what, what happened was, you know, it, it's really strange because like I look back on it now and there, there's like so much that now makes sense. But in first grade, there was a uh, wallpaper that went around the room and it was um, the cat, the cow jumping over the moon and the spoon running away with the fork, something like that. We had it in our school, too. And it took me right back there. Yeah. And and I would I would get so excited, like imagining like all this being real and like music to that. And and I would get myself so worked up that I couldn't calm down. And so, you know. ADHD and dyslexia really had no place back then. So what they would do, I went from sitting in the classroom to sitting by the piano, which was a big mistake. You don't put me by a piano. Yes. Um, and then by the teacher's desk, then outside in the hallway. And then finally, um, they put me in the furnace room with uh, Mr. Calavopi, who was a wonderful man and a little girl that had Down syndrome. And that's where I did my grammar school because that's where kids like me belonged. And so I actually, um, I went through all of junior high school and high school, and it was only till after high school that I realized that I wasn't retarded. Um, when I took a, I worked for a residential treatment home and the nun said to me, you know, she said, you write backwards. She was like, and I noticed a few minutes into the meetings, when we have meetings with the therapist and the kids, she said, you can't sit still. She was like, I would love for you to take the test we give the kids. And this was at 21. Mm -hmm. So I carried that. I carried all that until I was 21 and then got a diagnosis and was kind of freed. Well, I mean, you jumped ahead of where I was going to go with the story, which I love. But uh, no, no, no. Uh, but it's, it, this is your story. But I wanted to say that you didn't know that you had uh, what we now know as dyslexia. 
Um, I am very dear friends with Joyce Bullifant, who uh, is on the board uh, for a dyslexia organization out on the West Coast. And she talks about this. She didn't know until she was an adult that she had dyslexia. Um, For those of you who don't know, Joyce Bullifant was on Match Game. And when she was on and she and you can go back and watch her. She said it seemed like she was taking longer to write her answers down a match game uh, because she was afraid that she was writing the words backwards. Yeah. Which none of us are, were really aware of at the time, but she, you know, all these things that it, this shame that she carried oh, around with her. Huge. And so as you, you were going through school and there were other elements that I want to talk about these elements that you dealt with going through school okay. and Things that I had in common, uh, number one, uh, most of your friends were girlfriends going through yep. school because the guys were beating you up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing of it was, it was, it was kind of, now, I, I, after I wrote this book, I was talking to a couple of friends and I didn't realize there was such a thing as not being as flamboyant or not being as gay as I was. I had a, um, a 48 waist. I wore platform shoes. My hair was feathered back and I wore jewelry and um, Barbara Streisand and Cher were like, you know, everything to me. So I was, I was a, a target from the get-go, you know, to be bullied um, I was definitely a target, and because I don't of care, course, I, you know, for, you forget that. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, you know what? You know, if if you wore a bullseye on right. your back, that still doesn't give anyone the right to do. Oh no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. But the thing of it was, it's just like I, I realized when I was writing this book, it was eight years. It was four years of junior high school and four years of high school. That was just brutal. I mean, getting pushed downstairs, getting the, they, they would, I would never go by the shop uh, where they did all the, the car stuff because the boys would take nuts and bolts and they would throw them at my head. So I'd end up getting cuts in my head or gum or being beat up uh, or having my books like thrown over onto the first floor so I mean, it was it was nonstop. You tell this story in the book about your locker, because I had a similar experience. You didn't have the the actual locker. Uh, I mean, the uh, the uh, combination lock. Uh, okay. So you carried your books around, which I yeah. did too, and so which was again another target. As you're walking down the hallway, they would come and push the books out of your hands and everything. Absolutely. I dealt with this, John. I know exactly what you're talking about. Where were you? Where were you when I was going through this? In South Carolina, <laughs> dealing with it at the same time. So, but f- for me, you know, I was putting on shows and doing all these things because I felt I would make them laugh first before yeah. they got this. But one of my favorite moments in the book is when you reach the boiling point one day and you went in and you went right to the principal's office and you called them out on this. You know, I've had enough about this and you really let him have it. And he came right back at you. Yeah. I mean, the thing of it was, it was, it was me against them and it was the adult against the child, even though you're in high school back then you were just a kid. So you, you, you kind of, I mean, I, I spoke my piece, but I, in no way, I mean, I don't think it, it even made an indentation. I don't even, I think it went in one ear or out the other because he actually challenged me. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, so it, said wasn't, one- it wasn't, it was kind of like, I, I said, I said what I had to say. I felt good saying it, but it wasn't heard. No, my dad said, you just need to uh, fight back. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was my dad's response. You just have to learn to fight back. Well, I'm not a fighter. That's not who I am. That's not, not what I wanted to either. do. So you, you, but through the grace of God, you made it through high school and uh, you graduate. And yeah. so you graduate from high school. And right after you graduate from high school, your parents sit you down and they tell you, uh, 
that you're going to have to get a job. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to help, you know, with the family finances and everything. And so you end up getting these odd jobs. And the first job that you get, you are doing jobs with the very same people that you were being bullied by in high school. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was the summer jobs um, in high school. And the, my, my parents said, if I, if I worked during the summer, I would be able to buy my own clothes and save money for gas money when I got my own car. I don't know the reasoning behind that, but I did it. And the very people that bothered me and bullied me were the same ones that were at the job. Cause we used to, we used to clean uh, bathrooms in East Haven school systems. And I actually got my, I actually cleaned a couple of toilet bowls with my head, mm -hmm. unfortunately, but, and, and they used to pick us up in a flat truck and I've gotten, I got pushed off that flat truck a number of times but it was kind of, it just didn't end. But you had your girlfriends and the thing that kept yeah. you going through all this uh, yeah. was the dancing. Yeah. You know, and you, I mean, you kept dancing and you kept going through this, but you know, and, but you, you got, you got through these and there's a, a whole section in the book about the, all these odd jobs that you did. I mean, yeah. everything from putting uh, buckles on purses to working at Burger King to doing all yeah. these crazy things that you were doing. Yeah. Um, but then you, um, through your own fortitude, um, you, um, you know, you were uh, overweight yeah. uh, and, uh, but still dancing. God bless yeah. you. And uh, you were working with, uh, well, I mean, at the time, uh, well-known choreographers and everything. Right. And you were given the advice that you were good at what you did, but that you needed to lose the weight. Right. And so you want to go from there? or Yeah. yeah I, well, what happened was I, I was, I was dancing um, for a couple of people uh, in, in Connecticut and, um, did a concert. It went really well. And, um, my, my, my mentor, uh, Lee Lund, um, who owned the Lee Lund dance studios in Milford, um, had a party afterwards. And one of her friends from Vegas was, was at the party at the after party. And she, she got me into a corner and she was like, she, she had the gloves, and she had the, the cigarette with the long holder. And she's like, darling, she said, I've seen you dance. She was like, and you are incredible. She said, but you are never going to be a dancer for Mitzi Gaynor. And, and, I, and I totally fell apart. Totally fell apart. And started to, I went on Weight Watchers and then started to do some stuff I shouldn't have done. And um, got to a place where I had lost all the weight, but it was through a lot of problems and difficulties that I did it. You were also, and I got, God bless your mom. Uh, because I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, you were one night you were throwing up. I mean, yeah. and you don't really, I mean, at that point in the book, you was this forced vomiting that you were doing? Yeah, because the thing of it was, it was like, even though I was on a diet, I had lost probably, 50, yeah. And, and so I lost that weight, but it still wasn't enough. And I was dancing with really tall, beautiful male dancers. And so I thought that was the only, the only way to get down to it. And the, the part that you're talking about was that I ended up, um, running upstairs after meals and um, using my finger to vomit. And um, I opened the door once and my mother was standing in the doorway <laughs> with a baseball bat. A baseball bat. <laughs> and she said, if I hear that sound come out of the bathroom one more time, you'll never dance because I'll break both your legs. And it stopped. It's a little that bit more graphic than that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being considerate of your audience. Yes, yes. <laughs> but she was, she was very, uh, she uh, put it out there. 
Let's just say yeah. that. But I want to go back because there was a there's a part that we skipped over. Okay. Which really blew my mind about you was that you had a boyfriend at uh-huh. 15 years old. Well, it was 19. 19. Well, in in the book, I think you say that, he, I mean, you, I think that, am I mistaken that you started, you met him when you were 15? Well, we met early on, but yeah, but it was, we started the real stuff. Right, when when oh, you were 19. Okay, good. So, uh, it, totally legal. Uh, so, um, and you, but this relationship uh, went on for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, but you did have a very long relationship and yeah. you did all the things that, you know, I've been in, thank God, a long uh, relationship. We've been together uh, going on 33 years um, wow. and, uh, you know, legally wed for now 11 years. Uh, but uh, you did all the things that any couple does. You uh, set up a house together. You have the dogs. You have everything going. Um, and you think everything is okay. Things start to fall apart uh, yep. in the midst of everything else that's going on in your life. Uh, and uh, and then that's another layer that's put upon uh, uh, you. How, you know, there's a reason why this book is called Something More. <laughs> so yeah. this, again, this is something more that you're dealing with. Uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think with that was... I honestly, at one, we were having, uh, I'll make it quick, but no, um, your time. we we had, we were having problems and we went to a marriage counselor and the marriage counselor gave us a piece of paper to make a pie and we had to make a pie of importance. And then we passed it over to each other and he had half a pie. I gave him half a pie with all our life chores and stuff like that. And he gave me his and the dogs had a bigger piece of pie than I did. So it was, it was at its end. It was at its end. And then I was, um, I was working with the Nick city dancers and I was doing the commercials for NBC. And I, I came home early and found him with someone else. Um, in our home. So that ended quickly and painfully. I mean, not only did you find him with someone else, but I mean, the locks were changed. Yeah. And where did he find the time to change the locks before this new person came home? Yeah, it was, it was, he already had it in his mind what, what was going to happen. I was oblivious. So, I mean, it was kind of, all right. So, you know, you fall apart, you lose, you lose the 30 extra pounds that you needed to lose because of stress and crying. And then, you know, you don't think you're going to live and you don't think you're going to survive, but you do. And he's one of my friends now. I mean, the weird thing about all this is, you know, I, years ago, I, my first off-Broadway show, um, I'm doing HMS Pinafore at the Cherry Lane Playhouse. I'm very, very excited. I had these crazy roommates. It was like living with uh, George and Martha from uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, <laughs> except they were a gay version of that. Yeah. These two guys were raging alcoholics. I would come home every night and I would go into my room at a little radio and I listened to talk radio shows. This was before the internet, obviously. Yeah. And I would go into my room and shut the door with my little Chinese food or whatever I would pick up on the way home, fast food mostly, and sit in my room all night long because I was so afraid of these guys. Yeah, I am about to open in my first off-Broadway show. I come home at two o'clock in the morning after late night rehearsal. Yeah, and I go to put the lock in the uh, the key in the door, and the lock doesn't work. I'm oh, knocking okay. on the door and they're going, "Who's there?" And I said, "It's Richard." And they go, "Richard, who?" And they acted like they didn't know who I was. I called the police and the police came and they had to get, you know, and they claimed they didn't know who I was. But obviously all my things are there and I'm able to describe what's in my room. And I'm dealing with this. Obviously, I don't have a relationship with them. Right. But to deal with this, you are rehearsing 
with little Richard of all people. Yeah. And you come home, you're you're living your passion, you're doing this thing. You're obviously there are issues at home with the yeah. pipe part and dealing with this. You know that there are problems, but to come home and find this, and I know that you were sitting on the front porch crying your eyes out and thank God your friend came and got you out of this mess. Yeah. Um, but you know, what got you through to get you through to, you know, that you have to go on. You know, I, I honestly, I have to say, I mean, I come from, I mean, you, you read the book, so you know, my mom. So um, I, I decided that I was going to go for therapy that I was going to talk to somebody because I didn't think I, I would live um, let alone survive on a day-to-day basis. And um, I said, I'm going to go to therapy. And she was like, well, you don't go to, only weak people go to therapy. And I was like, well, I'm weak. Mind your business. I need to go because I'm about to fall apart and nobody's going to be able to put me back together. And years later, years later, he needs, the ex needs a therapist. And I tell him, go to the therapist that got me over you. And he was going to that therapist. So it was just kind of really weird because it came full circle. But I have to say, it, it's, it, was, it was just going to therapy and being with my friends. My friends were great during this time. But, you, know, yeah, but you also mentioned, it was like a matter of, I, you know, forgive me, I don't recall if it was days or weeks that right after this all happened, that you go to a party and he comes to the party with this person that he has now picked up uh, that he's with, yeah, um, and uh, and treating this person better than he was even treating you, yeah, uh, and going on like, you know, I mean, like it was blatantly in front of you that you were dealing yeah, with. It was it was blatant, you know. I mean, I I guess I kind of I always used to say I, I blamed it on our youth. But I don't. I don't know. Fifteen years, John. Fifteen <laughs> years. Yeah, I know. I mean, I try to, you know. I mean, now I, I, I see it as something that was. I mean, if he didn't do this, I would have never have moved to New York, and I would have never had the path that I had. So, I mean, I would have stayed. I was a floral designer. And I worked at a, at, at a dance studio and I auditioned and I would have stayed in Bramford, Connecticut and done all the things that I was, I would keep doing what I was doing as opposed to now living in New York city, doing all the things I've done. Well, we're going to talk about all the things that you've done because that is the next chapter that we get to. So you move on and you, what I love is that you put together this dance troupe of these six women and you, they are opening acts for like David Cassidy and all these incredible, yeah. uh, the weather girls, uh, the hot acts of the time. Yeah. How do you get to that level? Um, you know, all of a sudden I'm reading the book and I'm going, wait a minute, did I miss something here? Because you jump right to that. How did that happen? You know, Richard, I have to tell you, I honestly, and I and I don't mean this in a bad way. I think it was all stupidity on my part because I just thought that if I go and I do, it will. And so I, I didn't know any better. And, you know, in, in entertainment, you get rejection after rejection. I've been rejected. Uh, you do? You do? <laughs> <laughs> you know so oh, I, are you paying attention <laughs> you know i mean it's 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 non-stop and it's yes. you know it, it's it's horrible so i just went in you know with you know with blinders on and i got them audition for star search and i got them a couple of mtv shows and we opened up for a lot of like you said a lot of the the artists that were big then um, they were called Adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And and it was great because it, it, it actually opened up another another level uh, to me as a choreographer and as a performer. So it opened up some doors that it normally wouldn't have opened up. But I love the fact that you, you made calls 
and you open and you did open doors. You, I mean, you just called and said, I'd like to do this. And people were saying yes to you. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was fortunate. I mean, a couple of times I had an alias that was my agent. Um, and I would speak as him for me and it worked, you know, it worked uh, quite a few times uh, because if you have an agent, you're, you're more legit. And, and once I moved to New York, I got real agents, you know, but it was adrenaline was the stepping stone for a lot of other new things that were ahead of me. So once you made that move to New York, and again, a lot of this is in the book, everybody, the book is available on Amazon. You can get the book. Uh, please get the book. Uh, the book is something more, a little book with a big message. And it is a little book and it's an easy read. Yeah. Um, I want to talk. Um, I don't want to give away a lot in the book because the second half of the book is about all of these great triumphs that you've had in your life. The yeah. first part is about the difficulty to get to that part. But when you were, you made the move to New York uh, and these great things, you know, uh, you know, uh, working uh, with uh, Rugrats and all these other great successes that you've had. Um, when you made that jump, Right. Um, did you have a game plan uh, in mind or did you find that it was because of the circumstances that were being presented to you? How were you mapping out where you were going? I wasn't I wasn't mapping anything out. I um, I, I'll share something that uh, with the audience that I did. It, and it's just kind of how life deals. Um, you when you read the book, you read about the tummy tuck that I had and I had lost all the weight. And um, it, it was a horrific operation. I almost died. Mm -hmm. And so now my body is not thin by all means, but now it's not fat. And the first job I get, I had to wear a fat suit. So it was kind of like that was the, the beginning of, okay, this is what show business is going to offer. That's the irony of it. That, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was just like, okay, I'll just, I'll just go with it. And, you know, from that, from Rugrats, we ended up doing the soundtrack to the album. And then from that, I did a couple of episodes of the cartoon. So it introduced me to a lot of different things. And I, I just stayed open. And again, I know this is crazy, but it's stupidity because I was just, you know, okay, well, this is, this is going to offer me this and this offered me that. And you just keep going. You know, I've talked about this before. And it, it, this happened this week. I lost a very dear friend. Oh, uh, we spoke sorry. on, thank you. Uh, we spoke on Sunday and she was gone on Monday. And yeah. uh, th that's life, you know. It's like that yeah. line from Funny Girl, you know, when she gets the telegram, someone died, that's life. You know, yeah. and and it is. That's That line is so funny, but it's so true. Uh, and I say to people, take those chances, go out, to. because if, you, first of all, um, you know, I, I read this book about magic and, uh, you know, my friend da Danielle is watching here and she's going to agree with me. I know she's nodding her head as I say this and I can't even see her, but I know she's nodding her head. Um, magic is asking and receiving. That's all it is. Yeah. If you don't ask, you don't receive and you have to ask. So as you, uh, when do you, I want to talk about the process of this book. First of all, did you keep journals? I did keep journals. I did. I mean, I, they, I, it started, it's, it started when I went on tour, believe it or not. Um, I had to relive all the other stuff uh, and ask questions and, and I, you know, and, and I've been wanting to do this for years because I, I thought that, you know, if there's a little boy that's in my situation, he has to know that it'll get better. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, there, there has to be, you know, and now like at the end of the book, we won't go into it yet, but you know, all of a sudden the end of the book, what, what, what comes to the surface is something I've never in a million years expected. So um, yes, it started off with journals and um some of it I had to relive, which was kind of painful, but I survived. So when, what was the impetus for you to write this book? 
I mean, obviously you've been through a lot, a lot's happened to you and you have a great story to tell, but it's one thing to live these experiences. A lot of people choose not to tell their story. What was the impetus for you? Well, I, I have to, I have to tell you that um, I'm moving here. Um, I, I, I was teaching my stretch class in um, at uh, a really popular health club in New York City. And it's it was a pretty decent sized class. And a woman came up to me and she said to me, um, I'm, I'm going to go away for a little while, but I'm going to come back. And I was like, where are you going? And she was like, I'm going to go get a double mastectomy. She was like, but I'll be back. And I was like, I was thrown. I was like, okay, she comes back. And she says to me, um, I have to tell you a funny story. She was like, uh, I was on my, I was on the operating table and the anesthesiologist said to me, where do you want to go? And, you know, like somewhere tropical or something. She's like, I want to go to Johnny P stretch class. And it was like, and, and the, the doctor leaned over and the anesthesia leaned over and they were like, what's a Johnny P a stretch class. <laughs> And they were like, she was like, it's a stretch class where sometimes I doze off. Sometimes I cry, but I always leave feeling good. And I thought to myself, this stretch class means more to people than just a dollar number for me. And then after that, I ended up getting um, Meniere's disease, mm -hmm. which took away my balance and the hearing in my right ear. And then... Five years after that, I got um, scleroderma, um, which is a connective tissue disease. So you take away the balance and you take away the flexibility. You don't have a dancer anymore. So it's how do you survive with everything that you identified with? So I reinvented myself and came to a really big understanding that my hardships are other people's gains. Mm -hmm. God bless you. Wow, that's amazing. Um, well, I was going to, my next question, and I think you've just asked, uh, answered my next question. Uh, okay. The biggest lesson that you got out of all this, and that it, right there is it. I mean, um, you, your, your, your father, I mean, you talk about you, I mean, at, at about the same time that your relationship was ending, uh, your mom, I mean, your father passed away. And so you and your mom are going through this journey together um, yeah, yeah. of loss and starting again. Uh, but as your mom is, you're dealing with changes in her life, the aging process and everything. Yeah. I love the fact when one time you're over washing your mom's hair. <laughs> and as I'm reading this, um, it, it just, it was just such a heartwarming story. That story, I do want you to tell this story. Well, I was, I would go home. Um, my brother and my sister-in-law would take care of my mother during the week. And uh, we had, my mother and I had a different relationship. And um, so we would, I would, um, if she didn't want to go upstairs, I would bathe her in the kitchen in front of the sink. And sometimes I'd wash her and then um, I would do her hair. And I didn't know how to, cause she used to roll her hair in curlers. And I figured that I would save time if I uh, did a curling iron. So I curling, I would put the curling iron in her hair and I would burn her scalp. And she would swear at me and she would say, don't, don't, doesn't your kind know how to do hair? And I was like, my kind. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, the gay. She's like, all gays know how to do hair. She was like, why don't you know how to do hair? So it was, it was just something that was, you know, but we spent a lot of time. And sometimes she'd have such clarity in those moments that she'd come back for a little while and we'd have some really good laughs and, you know, some really heartfelt moments. And then she'd leave again. But it was there was one of those times, I think, that you were talking about. Yes, of course. That, you, I mean, do, did you ever see Angels in America? No. Well, there's a great moment in Angels in America. And I rem I saw it on Broadway when it, the original opened. And uh, this woman says to this guy, you know, when he says that he's gay, she's 
are you a hairdresser? And he, <laughs> he says, it would be your lucky day if I was. <laughs> and when I was reading that, it reminded me of that. So we are going to give away uh, a book. And uh, I, you know, I think of, uh, you know, I pulled up the word justice. Because as I'm reading your book, I think there's justice. Because you went through this horrific uh, these horrific episodes in your book of childhood and going through school, uh, not at home because you had a loving family. Great uh, family. Great family. It was these uh, asses at school who feel that they want to have control over someone else and would take you down these paths that you should never have gone down. Right. Uh, I want to ask, did any of those guys read your book? And if any of them reached out to you? I don't know if any of them reached the, read the book, but I do remember when I first got, um, I was doing choreography for the Nick City Dancers. I got a lot of the guys calling me and reaching out to me wanting tickets for the basketball game. So um, back then they figured, they, they had totally forgotten what they did. Mm -hmm. so, I don't think they forgot. They know. Yeah, and I think by now at, 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 at the, you know, being in our sixties, I'm sure they forgot even who I was. So <laughs> no. I went back to my, you know, it's funny. I went back to my 40th class reunion a few years ago and it was the first class reunion that I went to since graduating. I was always afraid to go back to high school. I was, uh, I mean, to my class reunion, I, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina yeah. and being gay, but you know, I've been, uh, in my relationship for so long, I am so confident in my skin of who I am now, and I figured I'm going to go back. And it was it was wonderful. It was yeah. just I it was just such a a wonderful feeling to go back and uh, and see everybody. And I was welcomed back with open arms. Yeah, it was a great experience. I haven't. I've never gone to any of my reunions. Well, never. It. I mean, maybe the next one. Do the yeah. next one. I, I mean, I think you should. And go with your book and make them buy it. <laughs> now, that's justice. But I want to ask you, what does justice mean to you, John? Writing this book. Great. So, you know, I end my shows with my homage to James Lipton inside the Actors Studio. So I've got some questions that I'm going to ask. And this gives everyone a chance to use the hashtag justice. Richard, can I ask you a question yes. first? Yes. Um, so I'm going to come to Connecticut to do a book signing yes. and, and to do a master class on, on MEND. Because yes. that's where the book ends. So I just wanted people in Connecticut to know that I'm definitely going to come. Uh, I'm probably going to do it in East Haven. I'm going to do a MEND master class. And I'm going to do a book signing. Don't have the dates yet, but I am. If you will get all that information to me on the, on the YouTube page. I can put all that information so that okay. that's here. And uh, not only will this audience see it, but all future audiences will see it as well. Okay, great. So, we get that there. so please get that information to me. And okay. you and I will stay in touch, I hope. Yes. So that'll be great. And if I'm available, I will definitely be there. I'd love to be there. Yeah, that'd so, be great. The first question that I'm going to ask you is what is the most important action that you feel that you've taken this week uh, other than doing this show, of course? <laughs> most important action. Well, you know what I mean? It's, it, I, I guess because it's New York City, it's like one of the most important actions, and this is for New York City, is, you know, getting up and going to work and riding the subway. You know, I mean, it is it, it's turned into a little bit of a jungle mm -hmm. and you take your life in your hands a little bit. So I would I would say, honestly, I mean, I know it may be a weak answer, but getting up and riding the subway every morning. Well, uh, God bless you. And uh, please be safe, please. Um, what's one decision that you can make today that will save you from making 10 more decisions in the future? Thinking that I have all the answers. Good for you. Because you don't. Good answer. Uh, what is the most important action that you feel? There's so many actions that are described in this book. That looking back over your life thus far, what do you feel is the most important action that you've taken in your life? Being more compassionate 
it, it's being more compassionate has has done wonders uh, and being understanding. And I think having all these trials and tribulations have, have made that kind of, I kind of become more compassionate with all that's come from this, from the book. Good for you. That's great. Uh, when it comes to your career, what is the biggest, biggest single result that you desire to have in the next 12 months? I would love for uh, the Mend Stretch, uh, which is at the end of the book, I would love to become a, 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 papa, a motivational speaker uh, with the Mend Stretch class because I think there's a lot of people with systemic disease and depression and just aging that I think if I tell my story enough and enough people hear it, that there could be hope for them. And if, if, if my misfortune and my journey could help somebody along the way, I would love to become a motivational speaker. I'm going to rephrase that for you, okay? And this is from Dee Wallace, who is one of my favorite motivational speakers. Do you know Dee Wallace? She yes. played your mother in E.T. Yeah. She has a wonderful book that I recommend to you and everyone else watching called Born. She's been on the show. And she said, instead of saying, I want to be a motivational speaker, I am a motivational speaker. Because, John, you are a motivational speaker. Thank Your you. story is amazing. Thank you. So just say, I want to be, uh, I'm becoming a better motivational speaker. I'm becoming a motiva better motivational speaker. You are there already. So you are already there. Thank um, you. What is, uh, we've already, you know, again, uh, we're going to reiterate this. What is your definition of justice? You know, I, I guess justice, I mean, you always see it as pulling through and, and well, see, for, for me, it's the minute you say justice, it becomes, you know, I think my New York brain, you know, that if something happens and some and somebody is found, you know, it's horrible to say, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I have to be honest. It's like, you know, if somebody gets mugged in the subway or mugged on the street and then they they find this this man it's justice you know and, and that's the first thing that i mean i could give you a, a line of poppycock but i'm not going to that's what came to my mind okay that that's fine that's fair uh do you practice gratitude and if so can you name six things that you are grateful for today I'm grateful for my, I do, I do, I am very grateful every morning, every morning and every night. I'm very, very grateful. I have very good conversations with what I call God and my mother. Um, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful that I could write this book. And I'm thankful for my husband. That's wonderful. That's six. That was six. And I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you're here tonight. I really Thank am. You. Thank um, you. What would make you go insane the fastest? What would make me go insane the fastest? Um, I'm claustrophobic. So you can't put me in anything really small mm -hmm. and closed in. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, do what it. do you consider the single most beautiful word in the world? Mother. Mm, nice. Mom, I hope you're watching. Um, what took energy away from you this week? Nothing. Oh, perfect answer. That's the best Nothing. answer I've heard on that question. So we're going to give away a book right now. I'm going to show you how this works. And uh, this will be true justice tonight. So uh, let's see how this works. And uh, this book is going to go to uh, Lisa Rodrigo, uh, our publicist for this show. So, Lisa, I will uh, uh, get the book out to you. Uh, we'll take care of that. I'm going to take this off of here, and I'll take care of that after the show tonight. Uh, so 
I'm going to pull this up here so we get full screen tonight. Uh, John, thank you so much. This book is incredible. And thank I you. recommend that everybody gets it. This is what you can do. After tonight's show, everybody go to Amazon.com and order two copies of this book. Order one copy for yourself and then go to your Facebook friends list. And the sixth name that pops up, order a copy for them. And then oh, what I'm that's a great do, idea. Yes. Uh, today's in numerology, today is a six. So reach out to that sixth friend and let that sixth friend know what they mean to you. Uh, and because, uh, as our dear friend Sean Moniger says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. Now, <laughs> for those of you who are here for the first time, I want to tell you a little bit about what this show is about. This show, as you can see, is about celebration. I love to celebrate. As you can see, John was worth celebrating. Uh, we both, uh, I asked John before the show started, uh, who would you like to listen to? And he said, Barbara Streisand. Uh, I'm going to give a little plug for myself. I gave you a sneak preview of my opening for tomorrow night because we're celebrating Barbara Streisand. What did you think, John? It was great. I'm telling you, I just, I stood there the whole time and I was just, and you know what the good thing about it was, is that it, it just brings up, but with all the pictures and all the songs just bring up so many different memories, you know, that you just didn't watch something and think, Barbara, you actually provoked memories. Yes. It was beautiful. I loved it. Thank you. So tomorrow night, uh, you all have to be here at seven o'clock for this very special tribute to Barbara Streisand that you're not going to get anywhere else. I also want to tell you that tonight is National Cherry Cheesecake Day. Oh, <laughs> oh well, made a friend to some cherry cheesecake tonight. Do something <laughs> nice for yourself. That's what this is all about. And you can do something, you know, I always tell everyone to do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. You can do something nice for me as well. Something very exciting happened to me today. I reached 100,000 viewers on YouTube. And that was of all of you and wonderful guests like John. So after tonight's show on YouTube, please leave a comment. Uh, if it's your first time here, please subscribe to the channel and tell your friends about this channel. Um, and not only, it doesn't stop here. Follow John. Go and if you see that he's going to be appearing anywhere, show up. When he's doing a motivational uh, appearance, show up. Uh, when he's writing his next book, buy it. Uh, continue to buy this book for friends and let people know about it. Don't let it stop here. Continue to pay it forward. Uh, that's what I hope that this channel does, not only for John, but for the previous people that have been on this show and the people that are coming up. And that's my message for everyone tonight. Now, John, I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to give you the final word. Anything you want to say about anything that we talked about tonight that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave for everyone tonight. After all, you are a great motivational speaker, and I'm expecting that you're going to leave us with a great motivational message tonight. I'm putting you in the hot seat. Uh, seat I know. You are. So, anyway, and don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say good night, the final credits will roll, and I hope that you'll come back someday. Uh, I so will. You're always welcome here, and this has been a treat. And thank you for getting you on this show today. I will. So, thank you, I and will. thank you, Rosa Puzo. You're the best. And I love Rosie. You. Thank you. I love thank you, so. Rosie. John, it's all yours. Thank, thank you. you. So I guess the thing that I want to say is that uh, I wrote the book, and after finishing the book, I realized how much I've been through between um, – I would say being dyslexic, ADHD, uh, being bullied, uh, failing in relationships, losing parents, um, coming to New York, losing opportunities, that there's always a lot, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not always an oncoming train. Okay. 
Thank you for buying my book. Thank you for listening to us. And um, hopefully we'll see you soon. Good night.